It's the Dear Black Folks Podcast with your host, Earl Markham. And Latoya brought us, a.k.a. the Ball Head Truth. How you doing, Toya? Hey, how you doing, Big E? What's going on with you? <laughs> all right, all right. All right, y'all, we're going to get into it. Um, today, we got a special guest. He's from the Los Angeles Crenshaw District. He's been in the music business for a while. He was a big part of the development of the career of the late, great Nipsey Hussle. He has a youth football team that's part of the uh, Snoop Football League. He has a nonprofit organization called Developing Options, which helps kids in the um, L.A. area. And now he's the executive producer of the new documentary, Hip Hop Uncovered. So everybody, please welcome Big U. All right, you. Here we go again. Hey, man. Again, <laughs> thank you for uh, joining the show. Um, again, like I said, I've seen you on some big podcasts, and I uh, I thank you for taking the time for the little man. We on our way up. We on our way up. We, we... <laughs> <laughs> you got to start somewhere. Gotta hey, start somewhere. tell him. <laughs> so, so um, I wanted to ask you. Um, Again, for those of you who may not know, you, you've been under a rock somewhere if you don't know who Big U is, but if you are, do your homework and do your research. Um, just like anything else online, don't believe everything. If it ain't come, if you if it ain't an interview with him and there's somebody else talking some bullshit, that's what it is. Um I wanna I wanna start off, Big U, um, by asking you. I know, you know, you started off in the streets, gang banging, hustling, and all of that, but at some point, things changed for you, and, and you had a moment when you decided you wanted to change. Where did that, what, what, what was that moment? I was uh, in between selling, selling dope between Minnesota and Chicago. I was taking some, some birds to Chicago to sell them from Minnesota. We was getting them at that time in L.A. for like 14, 15, between, you know, 18, getting them from the homie. And sell them out there for 40 and 50. Damn. So I had us stopped in the mall in Minnesota and I met this girl and she was working in the bookstore. Make a long story short, she was telling me I needed to read Malcolm X autobiography. I had no intention of reading this book because it was that damn thick. No. I had these other books, these Louis Lamar Western books we used to read when we was at 4800. So when I went to my other spot I had just bought, I ended up changing clothes. So when I got in the car, the only book I had to read was the Malcolm X autobiography. And when I read it, it just fucked my head up. When it, it straightened my head up. And when I got to Chicago, I cut my hair off. And that started transformation. And then me and Lil Fee, who was on Death Row, started writing. Lil Fee was sending me, telling me all kind of books to go read and go get this book, go get that, man. And so. Me and Lil, me and Lope, which we call Lil Fee Lope, um, we were just reading and going. I was on the streets, so my mind was changing on the streets. And then I started studying um, Islam, and um, it went from there. Wow, yeah, that 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 book. I think that book should be a must read for every black youth, yes. black young man that, in America. Because that I, and Marcus Garvey. The yeah. autobiography of Marcus Garvey. I, I love that book too. Mal the autobiography of Malcolm X was the first book I read outside of school that I didn't have to read. And I was in the army at the time and I couldn't put that book down, man. I would try to go to sleep and I just, I want to know what's next. And I damn near read that book in one <laughs> night. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, was, and it, me. changed, it, it changed my mindset too of making me more hungry for knowledge and learning about our people and doing for our people. So when you say you when you got to you say when you got to Chicago, you uh I mean when you cut your hair off, like so what did you have going on with your hair at the time? I had a Jerry curl at the time. Okay, because I was about to say Michael Max, he got rid of the conk. I was I ain't I couldn't see you having no conk in your hair. <laughs> <laughs> no, I had a Jerry curl, that was a conk. Oh, uh, okay. That was our form of the conk. Uh, you, oh, know, okay. you know, it's a trip coming from L.A. Everybody that was that was that was gang banging everything. That's always the first sign of change when they cut that Jerry curl off. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I cut my hair off and I um, I stayed in Chicago for about six months. 
and um just you know just reading and, and trying to figure it out and um then some stuff happened with the with the people with the letters on their jackets and um so but I wasn't grinding mm. I was through grinding at the time so I took a major loss because had I not read the book I would have been caught up in a whole nother vortex. So the book saved me. Wow. And I had never went back for like six months. And so it, it, it saved me. And, but now I'm, I'm, I'm hit. I don't know how to hustle. I don't know. How, I mean, I don't know how to do nothing, but what I knew how to do. Mm. So I came back home and cause I had to get out of Chicago cause that was too close to, to there. So I came back and my homeboy stone, like, yeah, he, Stone gave me some money and was like, go, take off. Get back on your feet. And um, I was like, fuck that, I ain't selling. So I just used that to start showing it to who was selling and getting the bag. So I thought in my young mind, if I didn't if I didn't sell drugs, maybe I robbed the drug dealers and then I was robbing them. So, <laughs> but you know, I was young. I was only 22, 23. But I wouldn't. I just didn't want to sell drugs. <laughs> you was so fucking was, with your conscience, but you still had to get that money somehow. Huh? I, right. you know, I was look, man. I had a mass maybe thirty thousand dollars a month bills. My little brothers in the private. So at this point in the interview, Big U hit a dead spot um, on the cellular phone. Uh, the first part of the interview, he was in his car driving. So at this point, uh, he hit a dead zone, and we lost him for for a little while. But basically what he was saying was after reading the Malcolm X book, he started having conflicts with, you know, selling drugs. And but he had accumulated thirty thousand dollars a month in bills, you know, helping his family and sending his little brother to private school and all that stuff. And he knew that he didn't want to sell drugs anymore, but he had to figure out a different way. So the interview picks back up once he gets back home and he has a clear cellular. So we're going to continue back. Um, here we go. And now back now to the Dear Black Folks podcast with your host, Earl Markham. And Latoya Broaddus, a.k.a. the Ballhead Truth. It has saved me on one end because it saved me from the people with the letters on the jackets. Mm. And, but then now, so I started reading. I, uh, when I got back to L.A., I started taking, I started trying to, you know, self-educate. I took some construction classes and um, I was trying, and I was doing that while I was in the streets. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, trying to trying to just do something different. But I still was, <laughs> I still was living by that pistol. Right, right, okay. So I went to prison. And you, you, just, you needed to read the book. <laughs> you needed to read the book twice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, it is. And then you understand it, you understand it. But again, I'm 27 years old. Well, I'm going to tell my mama, look, hey, my mama, I can't, I can't keep my, my little brothers in private school right. because I'm going through this change and I'm grind. Like, you know what I mean? Like, mine was Christian. She didn't, it took me hard enough for me even my mother to give her a dime. My mother <laughs> was one of them ladies was like, I don't want none of your money. I don't want none of that. Right. For me to even allow her to even allow me to do anything was against her morals, so I'm like, well, look, we so, gotta at least let these kids get an education. Right. And Ma, you can't stop me from getting them get a better education. That's the only way they're gonna be able to compete with the people in the world. Right. So, I fought her on that. <laughs> and she finally ended up letting me pay for my brothers to go to go to private school because my mother wasn't going for it at all. She was she was starved before she allowed we just see the biggest spies on different movies and say, I don't want that dirty money and all that stuff. Yeah. Well, I, you know what, man? I want to say this on this documentary. I mean, on this show, right? And, 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 and I think y'all going to be the first person I ever get to say this on. Oh, shit. Got an exclusive. Yeah. They made crack cocaine and the selling of crack cocaine seemed like it was the worst thing that ever happened to black people. But in fact, that's not true. Mm. <coughs> It's one of the only industries that we as black control, right? They made that industry that made black men wealthy because 
We wanted no different. Our situation in America did not change. Mm -hmm. We were in, if you look at when the crack era, if you watch my documentary, you watch when the crack era came in, dog, we was in the worst shape we ever been in this country as a people other than directly out of slavery. Wow. If you look at the tenements, you look at how we was living, you look at how the government was treating us, we were the first ones in our generation. And I'm not saying, I'm not supporting, I'm not endorsing sales of crack cocaine. What I am saying is this, that it was an industry that we controlled. And it was a lot of black men who were able to help their families mm -hmm. in more ways than enough. Mm -hmm. More ways than enough. And they made us criminals. They vilified us. They took us away from our families by creating these different laws. But in fact, but in fact, I was able to do more for my family. And then they talk about the people that, that were destroyed by it. Well, you know, before crack, there was heroin. And, and people was dying and overdosing right. well, on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Not comparing either one to, a, to not one, not comparing one to the other one, but the 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 system that we 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 fell under. Yeah, it was totally bad, but yeah. we still dealing with shit right now. Right, and it was the white folks that was making the money off that heroin back in the 60s and stuff. Killing it, because that was the only way you can get in this country. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you know. So with that, you you, you started, you know, having the, the feelings of wanting to, um, to change and everything, but you know, you was on that fence because you had to make money. At some point you started getting into the music. Did that happen before prison or after prison when you first before prison? My first artist was was Laquan Pop LQ. And he came up to me in the he came up to me in the Fox Hill Mall. Mm -hmm. And me and the homies mobbing through the Fox Hill Mall. And he was, he was like, he introduced himself to me, told me I used to work for his father. I did some work for his father, and I'm like, you know, but <laughs> Anyway, I ended up knowing his father, knowing, knowing, and knowing him and respecting him. I have a lot of respect for his father. Mm -hmm. So moving on past that. Um, he ended up, we ended up linking up. I started going with him to different um shows. I started going with him to um different meetings. He took me to meetings, he took me to um concerts. We was going to video shoots, and I was just really just rolling with him, you know, acting in that capacity. He like talked to my, my big homie. And you know, I'm just going by what I'm. On, I'm winging it, right. and um, so then hustling in and out, I meet corrupt. No, Lamont Broomfield called me and tell me about corrupt. So then I pop in on it. We get this, we figuring out what we gonna do. When I started Delicious Entertainment, that was the first company I started. And make a long story short, I ended up taking a hit and going to jail. And doing 13 years. And because of the relationship I have with Corrupt and Laquan, when I come home, they naturally embrace me. And a lot of my other homeboys who was doing music, like um Poon, Poon Daddy put me on, hooked me up with Ludacris. Mm. And it was really kind of history after that. Then I hooked up with Suge. And so, you know, I just did a lot of stuff in music in between that time. I did Game's first shoe deal. You know, we, we did a deal with Game Gay, Game of Million Dollars, his first million dollars he ever had. Um, I did a lot of things with Veen Range. So then I ended up going to do to go do Nip. Mm. Wow. So I had already I had already did a lot of things in music. I did TI's show. Um I had did TI's show Road to Redemption. Mm -hmm. I, I had appeared on that. I did some other stuff. So, you know, I was kind of like just, you know, moving in music and managing corrupt. Okay. So when you, when you, when you, um, when you took that, when you caught that case, right, when you was getting ready to start the, um, get in, really get into the music industry, you caught that case and it kind of took a back seat to it. But while you were in prison, I, I heard you say uh, several times that, that you started putting your plan together for your organization and, and what you wanted to do for the community and the kids and everything while you were in prison. Is that right? 
Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so explain that a little bit. My inspiration came from Kita Rock mm-hmm. to really first start a nonprofit. Kita Rock, I was, I was, I was, I was in Calipat, and I seen Kita Rock and them had the president at the time, Bill Clinton, at this at the little shoe, shoe store they had, and it was called um, the Playground. It was on Florence. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Bill Clinton and they came up there and Jim Brown had to help him start it. So I had asked Keita Rock for some shoes for my son. Oof. And Rock was telling me, it ain't that simple, bro. I got to wait to do this, get this. And, and Keita Rock was like, man. And I kept calling. And he was like, bro, I'm going to get you the shoes, but I got to wait. And I'm like, man, if it's your thing and it's your nonprofit, why you got to wait? And you know, are you in jail? You know, you try to understand. So that made me go research nonprofits and how they function. And then Kitty Rock was like, man, I'm just going to buy the shoes myself. You're not reimbursing. So that's what Kitty Rock did. But I didn't want to cause no burden. So I kind of started researching. When I researched it, I started seeing how nonprofits work. Then shortly after that, they had a news article came out. Hey, brother. They had a news article come out talking about they was giving the homies 60 million and 70 million, and yeah. and they was putting all these different brothers out throughout LA, talking about how they was Ford, Cadillac, and all these dudes was donating this big old lump sums of money. But they really was setting these brothers up. They was telling them they was giving them money, or some of that money was supposed to be education, some of it was in investment, some, of, but it was all kind of funky ways, slick ways they was doing it. And the homies fell to that. So a lot of people was thinking, Kid Rock and them, they got millions and millions and millions, and I watched how Kitty Rock and them was being vilified. And I was like, shit, yeah, when I come home, I want to come home and change that. Cause so now when I come home, I'm starting to write out, develop, I mean, I'm starting to write out nonprofits and how they work and about doing stuff for the community because Kitty Rock and them was doing it first. You know what I'm saying? And then F-Bone, Big D and all them was doing stuff with football by the time I came home. And I'm like, oh yeah, I want to get into that. Cause I had sons who was that age. So my motivation. To, to to do something for the community was because I had sons. Okay. And, and speaking of that, man, I'm gonna tell you one of the one of the my favorite parts of watching your documentary was when you were on a uh, Zoom call with your sons and the pride that I saw in your face of of, of your boys, man. You know, and, and, and congratulations to raising some successful men. They they all yes, in college sir. and in the military. And I saw the pride and the smile and, and everything on your face, man. It was cool to see yeah. that. So, yeah, it's my pride and joy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I got two in college, man. I'm proud of them too, and I, I know the feeling. But, um, so I just wanted to kind of give everybody just a little brief history, because when you go see the documentary, you, a lot of the stuff that he just talked about, you will, you will see for yourself. But I just kind of wanted to give you give everybody a little, just a little brief history. So now, let's talk about the documentary. Um, how did you come up with the concept? And I, I just saw recent today. I was watching one of your um, videos when y'all were out in the backyard lifting weights. When you said it took four years, this was four years in the making. So, oh yeah. Explain to me the the how you came up with the concept and the and the whole road to getting it done. Jim Bob from Capanella Park, who's a Piru blood out of out of Compton, came to me with an idea to do a show. And he wanted me and Shug and Wack to do the show, to shoot a pilot. And so Shug went to jail. And Wack was too busy. So I ended up doing the pilot. But I wanted to change it from being this thing about managers and be more about what we what you see now. Mm-hmm. So we shot it four years ago. It went through 30 different people's hands. It went through big, I don't know if I can say any people's name, but it went through all the different networks. The, 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 the one with the T-E-B backwards. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it went through their hands. It went through all them. It went through all these different hands, man. And then Ended up landing in Lightbox. We had a meeting. I told him I had some ideas, some other things. Just two years later, and it was like, okay, cool. We ended up because people didn't know who I was, mm-hmm. so we had to convince them that the story is about hip hop uncovered. It's about telling the stories about people you don't know. It's not about telling the story about Lil Wayne, right. about corrupt. 
about Suge. It's about telling it's hip hop uncovered. Right. You know and, what I mean? I, you you said something about um. I watched some interviews with you and you were saying something about uh, because the love and hip hop thing was going on or whatever. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. So that, that's kind of a little, had a bit, a little bit. And also you said something about, it was like you had did something. Um, so you had to give, give the guy a favor because you had did yeah. some kind of, fi- yeah. Some kind of film with him for him. Yeah. Cause what I did, I was trying to, um, in the beginning, Avery Mitchell, I was shooting this documentary on games. I had my own idea to shoot a documentary on games. And so he was from Capanella. So he let me come over there and film some of his homeboys interviews, like back history on games. And I was doing all, I was doing all these different neighborhoods. So when he came to me, it was a kind of a conflict between his homeboys and his homeboys. Right. And then, you know, a lot of people pulled out. I didn't tell y'all the truth because, you know, a lot of people pulled out on my man. But then he came to me and I owed him a favor. And I'm like, nah, bro, I got you. So I'm going to just leave it at that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, I'm going to tell you, I was I was pleasantly surprised on how well, not that I thought it was not going to be good, but it, it, it exceeded my expectations of what that documentary, the way it was shot great, you know, whoever. Who, who did the who did the shooting, um, um, the directing and oh. all that? The director, the director was uh, was um, uh, Rashidi Harper. The shooter was um, my partner AG Alwit, and he's Hispanic. And he's from Guatemala, and I always I'm gonna forget his damn name. But anyway, he was phenomenal, um, phenomenal. And the vision of it was was crazy. But hey, man, I gotta toot my own horn here though a little bit, bro. You know what I mean? I've been in film. That's what I've been doing, and that's what people don't realize. Like, I stopped managing Nipsey in 2009, mm. 2009, 2010, after the tour. I never finished the game tour. Mm. And then I started doing film with Vene Reigns. I've Force been of, managing Vene Reigns. Force of Execution. Huh? Force of Execution. I wrote and co-wrote that. Did you go watch it? No, I didn't watch it yet, but I'm going then to. You ain't watched it. So, <laughs> so I started, I started writing. Cause I didn't know that I didn't, I didn't I didn't know it was you till today. <laughs> yeah, I acted in that. They didn't even give me my acting credit. Oh wow! wow. <laughs> yeah, man, they they got big you. They didn't give me no credit for nothing. They tap hearted me. Pay paid me for everything. I got paid well, handsomely. I'm not mad for that, but they didn't give me my credit. I did like ten movies. I've been, listen, if you do 10 movies a year, if you do a movie a year, you make it over $175,000 a year. When I left my, when I left my kid, Nipsey, he wasn't making no money. We was paying to do the tour. We were paying to do the game tour. You understand? I started managing one of the big, the biggest black actors in Hollywood, Baby Boy. And I had him, I had Tiny Lister, rest in peace, I was doing shows with Mike Epps. I was booking Mike Epps on shows on and off. I was getting my producer credits. I did the um, I did the documentary on Jam Master J called Two Turntables and a Microphone. I did oh, about wow. six, yeah, I did that one. I did about six or seven small documentaries and small shows, you know what I mean? But that's what I've been doing. Like I've been messing with the camera. Right. So I never left, I just went to, where I was actually getting a check. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like. So, so what we saw, the documentary that we saw, all of that was actually filmed four years ago? No, we started, film, we, we, we started the first pilot. I shot the first pilot four years ago. Then BET, somebody <laughs> else gave us some money <laughs> to do another pilot, uh-huh. to redo that pilot. We did it. We turned it back in. They was like, nah, we're going to just pass on it because we don't understand. They didn't understand who I was. Mm. Two years, two and a half years ago, uh, Lightbox came to the table. They ran across the pilot somehow because we started back redoing it and sending it out again. They was like, we need to get somebody other than Big U. We need to get a bigger name. Like, you know what I mean? So, Right when they was finished, 86 meet, 
Highbox <laughs> came to the table was like, hey, no, we want to meet with Big U. So Jonathan at Lightbox had a feeling that it could work with me and people like me. Mm-hmm. And that was brought me back to the table. Wow. So then um, we we uh, we sat down, we had a bunch of meetings, and we ended up signing a deal two and a half years ago, and we 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 we, um, we launched the project. So it only actually took us two years in the pandemic to do it. If we were to go redo it now, we could get it done in six, seven months. But because pandemic, um, um, you know, trying to find a home, it took us about, and then we did six episodes. Yeah, I was about to say, you said um, it wasn't supposed to be, it was only supposed to be one, like one one. show, right? Yeah, one. And then we ended up turning, doing, and it's amazingly hard to tell a story on five different people. Yeah. yeah. That is amazing. And Rashidi Harper and the editing crew were phenomenal in doing that. I mean, talking about, and then with me, because I've always been a storyteller from gate. That's why y'all see me with footage that nobody else don't have. Okay. I got footage that goes all the way back to 1981. Wow. When they first, we first, I mean, not 81, to 1984, 85, we first had the big cameras. Yeah. When you see me playing basketball, yeah. I always been in the film. I always, that's always been my thing. So you see, I'm the only one who has that. I didn't just put pictures. You guys actually seen footage. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it was it, for me. It was a cool scene because I recognized some of the you know a lot of the people in the footage. You, you recognize know? your boy? Did you see Baby yeah. Slip? <laughs> yeah, I said look at Slip <laughs> before he cut his curl off. <laughs> <laughs> she she knows Slip too. Yeah. So, um, so you can see how big I was compared to everybody back then. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they you guys, man. Like I said, y'all y'all did a hell of a job on that on that documentary, man. I, and what was cool for me was like some of the people, like like some of the other ones I had heard of but didn't really know much about, and it gave you an insight on who they were. Especially like I, I was really interested in in the Haitian Jack because I had never heard of anything about Haitian Jack until the Tupac song came out. Right, exactly. Wow. And, 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 yeah, you know, I, I didn't know anything about him and. Um, and to hear it and to hear his side, right. it, it and I was a big Tupac fan, but I ain't gonna lie, it kind of made me say, ah, but Tupac kind of knocked him down a few notches with me, you know, <laughs> hear that side, hearing his side. Hey, and they say that, he was still he was still angry. Is, <laughs> you it always is, and, and I yeah. wanted to tell his story. So we went in the meeting with Jonathan at Lightbox. They was asking me, like, who you gonna bring? I said, I'm gonna get Trick Trick, I'm gonna get Haitian Jack. I'm again, who, and they're like, well, who is Trick Trick? And I'm telling them, well, he's the he one tried. that stopped this. And, he, and then they like, well, who is Haitian Jack? And I'm like, Haitian Jack, the Tupac song. And the judge, wait, you can get him? I called <laughs> I called Haitian Jack on the phone right there while in the meeting. He's like, yeah, we can get it. We can do it. Big use my guy. Ooh, and I'm like, boom. But he, he didn't want to do it because he had, he already had a deal to do his own documentary. Oh. Uh. And I'm like, no, bro, this is going to be mm. even bigger. But you know how we do for each other? Yeah. I'm going to help you get the deal, even if I'm not going to do it. I'm going to say I'm going to do it. So now he, I got him. I called Jay Prince. Jay Prince, give me love, throw me Ali up. I'm going to do it. So now they're going crazy when they hear Jay Prince. And But Jay Prince had a documentary. He's doing also. So everybody was doing documentaries at the time, two and a half years ago, that they, they're doing on their on sales. So I had to fight through that. We went and found Bimmy. We got Bimmy. We got Deb. I didn't even know Bimmy and Deb were sisters and brothers. Right. Yeah. I just knew Bimmy's Deb story was exactly like my story. Yeah, her story. And dealing with artists. Mm-hmm. So, and then Rashidi was like, nah, she's a woman, man. We got to use her. I'm like, all right, well, let me let me, let me get her story. Like, give me her story. And that's that was the process of making it. Like, 
we all had to sit there and see whose story, how the stories merged together. And her story merged mine so much, man, it was, it was pathetic. To whereas people just for some reason thought I was somewhere not doing shit. Like I was sitting on the corner, like twiddling my thumb, mad at the world. Nah, motherfucker, I'm making 200 to 50,000, $250,000 a year. You know what I'm saying? And more. I'm writing movies and doing movies. I'm acting and shit, making real money. Like, right. But you know how it go. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Jay Prince too because I wanted to ask. I didn't want to ask. I wasn't gonna ask you on the podcast. I was gonna wait and ask you if I talk to you person or whatever. But I, when I was watching it, I kept thinking. I said, "Damn, I wonder why they didn't get Jay Prince on here." You know, he was really one that I was wondering about. So I'm glad. Nah, he was gone. He was gone. He did it for me. We filmed him, but he only wanted to talk about just my my relationship and his relationship right before I went to jail when we was trying to do the deal with rap a lot. And while I was in jail, we could only talk about a certain part. So it didn't actually fit in within the storytelling. Oh. So we just cut out a lot of stuff yeah. with him. But hell no, nah, bro shot, bro, bro kept it 100 with me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I, I was, he kept it 100. Now with with um with all the other ones, I know you said you knew Haitian Jack. Did you did you know uh Bimmy and 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 Deb and Trick Trick pretty good too before this? No, nah, Trick Trick is like my brother. So I've been doing trick since I came, like right after I came home, you know? And um, so with Deb, I had to meet Deb. Like we actually shot on Deb. When we went to Atlanta to, to do Deb's interviews, I actually quit the project. Wow. Wow. Why? Why? I mean, just um, what we say, creative differences. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. I love and, Deb. I and, love and, her. No, no, it didn't have nothing to do with Dad. Okay. It was, it was, it was with us. It was with me, uh, Rashidi. It was me, Rashidi, uh, uh, um, um, Malcolm, and my manager, and we were arguing over, over um, contractual parts. Mm. We still was shooting, but we still was going over negotiations of the deal, and. That's why I never met Deb the first time I was supposed to meet Deb. Oh, and mm-hmm. so I was like, look, you know, like, man, I need some clear understanding on what this contract is reading like. And then we need to, you know, we need to understand it because <laughs> then um, they like what we turned in so much. So they was trying to buy our back end. Mm. And I didn't want to sell our back end. I'm like, man, we're not selling the back end. Like, and so it was like, you know, yeah, it was all that shit. Yeah. We ended up being I, I'm, I'm I'm from Detroit, so I, I I love Trick Trick. I love what he does in the city, what he does in the community, how he monitor and make sure Detroit artists get what they supposed to get. That no fly zone oh. type shit going okay. on. Okay, so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that tripped me out when I saw they had they had my man outside was like he ain't finna perform tonight. Was, not right. <laughs> when it was Didn't like that not- dude look like he was about to cry. <laughs> trick trick but he be he be putting it down like when it was like a little kid recently got killed in the city and he was like y'all need to come on in well who did this like y'all need like this is not about to happen here in the city and and people came together and and, and figured out you know what was going on it was like a little five-year-old kid his dad that got killed and it was like they killed a whole family but it took trick trick to get on tv yeah and and talk about it and and they the people came they gave his ass up though the person who who ended up killing the little guy so you what kind of um you know since the oh let me tell you this though you know what's funny you know i follow you on instagram too how was it for you to see, because I know you said your name on that billboard wasn't the first time you was on the billboard. The other time it was on a wanted billboard, but now you're on there as an executive producer. How does it feel, though, really, to go from being on the billboard as most wanted to going on the billboard as an executive producer of, 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 of like the hottest show out that's out right now? Hey, man. If you follow me on Instagram, you already know how it was. Just keep me 100. Yeah. All these lame-ass niggas accusing me of shit that they know I didn't do. Right. Uh, talking shit about my kids and talking shit to my family, making these fake pages. 
And then his family not saying nothing, not telling the truth, keeping quiet, you know what I mean? And really just adding to it. Really just adding to it. So to really be able to tell my story and get the truth out and uh, show all these tapes where I really did what I did and to show how my man came back and got me and and not all this fake shit and show how I was right there in the making of the, uh, uh, of the project and being the first one to promote it and promoting it all the way through, you know what I mean? It was really vilifying to be able to sit back and say, now what? Right. Already- and I hate to even feel like that because, you know what I'm saying, to be number one, mm-hmm. even right now, right. and to be able to say, yeah, I, you got like I, I commend you for for your strength and for you not really firing back a lot on that bullshit because you know, you no, know, I'm a familiar face to you. We, you know, you know me, you know who I am and everything, but we're not close friends or nothing. Mm-hmm. But it was pissing me off reading that shit. You know what I mean? And right. And and, and I remember because I was, you know, I had come back to LA for a couple of years back in 09 and 11. So I remember when y'all was on tour with the with 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 the uh mobile home and all that stuff. I remember all of that. You know, and um again, cause I used to ask your cousin, I said, Man, that, that shit don't be pissing him off, you know, because it was pissing me off reading the shit, you know. But you know, and, I knew I was I knew I was doing this, so yeah, I knew I knew it was coming. Right, right, right. You know. So what kind of um what kind of of of, of um feedback you've been getting? I'm sure yeah, it's that's been, what I been great. Overwhelming change for you. Shaquille O'Neal, Quavo, Queen Latifah, Nas. I mean you couldn't even ask for more of what we get. And it's- everybody loved they they Everybody loved five and six because mm-hmm. you know three, four, three, five, and six is really kind of West Coast, and right. five and six is kind of my more me right. and what we telling, and um, and they love it, man. It's just that people can really see, you know, people can see the genuineness. People can see like the work that I've really been doing, like, and then a lot of people call me and say, "Man, you got you got jumped by the security." And you use the money the right way. That's what I do. Right. You know what I mean? And I don't even blame the security because I would have did the same shit. You know what I mean? But I can't leave without a squabble. Right. You know what I mean? You know. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, man, I can't, man, I, what? Hell no. On the clip, you couldn't see it, but I heard it. Like You, you, you heard fired it? on one of them, right? You did yeah, Come on, man. Let's go. <laughs> I heard and it. And I still mess with them today. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, do you? Because, yeah, I mean, I got my check. I might take one of them again for that money. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you talking about? Shit, all I got was a kick. Was was he kicked me while I was on the ground? And yeah. it was more wrestling. And the dude kicked me while I was on the ground, and he cut my eye. So when I was laying on my back, all the blood just filled up in your eyes, in the, in the pits of my eyes. So when I stood up, when they raised me up, the blood just flow down my face so it actually looked a lot worse it looked a lot worse than it than it than it actually was physically yeah you know what i mean and i know they didn't start it right you know what i mean i'm 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 big on that you know i know they didn't start it they didn't ask for the funk i didn't either you know the kid i'm with high on whatever he was and he hit one of they homeboys so they was defending him they, they was defending themselves. They wasn't bothering me or bothering this, this Negro. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I, wasn't, I didn't want nobody to get hurt, but I mean, I couldn't stop my homeboys at that time mm-hmm. from coming to Hollywood because it had got out. Right. And so by the time it got out, niggas was going right. to Long Beach. They was going to, they was going everywhere to catch and do their demonstrations. You know what I mean? Right, right. Right, yeah, yeah. I remember when that shit happened too. That was crazy seeing and hearing all that. So now that that's you know doing good and everything, man. I, what's next for you? I, I saw a little sneak peek of the of the um 
of the the uh the birth of a crypt that's coming out next. We actually working on it. Yeah, I got the birth of a crypt. Well, you and I know the Raymond Watson story. Right. So we're gonna be doing the, the story on Raymond Watson life, mm -hmm. but I want to tell the influence of the Crips globally. Mm -hmm. oh. Not not we're not going to go interview. The nigga who started the bloods, nigga who started the crib. I, I want to tell a story like we told this story. Where it is went, how they changed the laws. I want to I want to tell a story on the the, on the politics of how um, J. Edgar Hoover, the people in, in, in the government understood the power of the Crips and Bloods before we did. Mm. And how to this day, Crips and Bloods are labeled as a terrorist organization and we did nothing but crimes to ourselves. But the Ku Klux Klan, the uh, Aryan brothers, the Nazis are not. Proud boys. I, the pro <laughs> well, we just now getting to them. Right. But in 84, Bill Clinton them declared us a terrorist. Right. Which led them to be able to lock us up and create laws that would put us in jail. Just even to this day, they have what is called gang enhancement. Where they could put 10 years on you. But they can't do that to these white boys who killing and hanging black kids right now. Right. You know what I mean? And and I, and I want to tell a global story on how the, the uh, CCPOA, the Correctional Peace Officer Organization, was formed in 1984, and it became the largest organ, one of the largest, uh, um, um, one of the largest unions in the United States of America, just on people being incarcerated. And now you see Biden and them talking about. They finna defund federal private prisons, some private, all private prisons. But the laws that changed and how they took and how the role it changed Crippen, how Crippen went from something, it became something else. And what people don't understand, there's probably more members of the people that claim Crip, Crips and Bloods than ever claimed Black Panther. Oh, yeah. Mm, you know what yeah, I, mean? I believe that. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I want to say. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I have a distribution company called Unique Distribution. We're distributing music now. Uh, I'm not really signing artists more than I'm just doing distribution so artists can go on, load their music up, load their um, projects up, and we help put that out. And then if somebody hits, of course, we'll fan back and try to get them locked in. But it's, it's more of a platform for kids to really be able to put out their music and get their sound heard. Is that the shirt that you're wearing? Yeah. Is that how it's spelled? Yeah. You need yeah. Just, you need, uh -huh. Okay. Um, I wanted to say, I wanted to say this in encouragement, in encouragement, because like I said, I am from the Midwest or whatever. And since I've been, you know, hanging around um, E and Breed and people from California and everything and learning about the culture, it is very, the things that the way y'all lifestyle is out there on the West Coast it is so interesting just learning the different ways that y'all were raised and the the way the standards in which y'all live by. Yes. It's like amazing to me. I just think California is one of the most amazing places ever. I, I tell people all the time, things start in California and then it goes to the rest of the world, you know. So I yeah, yeah, want yeah. I want to I want to say thank you for taking the you know doing that for teaching us about the the California culture. <laughs> hey, Miss Henley. Hi, how are you? All right, I enjoy seeing you on the documentary too. Wow, thank you know you. people be saying thank you for letting your wife speak. And <laughs> 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 yeah, you know what people ask me all the time? They're like, you married? I'm like, yeah, I've been with her since she was 17. I'm gonna decide. I decided to just go ahead and keep her. <laughs> I'm trying not to get fire slapped. Hey, hey, you better have after, <laughs> after she said she was gonna stick with your ass within the 56 years you was facing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so we planning on doing something. We planning on doing something with her. Um, because I look, it's crazy because well, how many years ago we tried to sell that story? Four? Well, it was 10 years ago, but no, chair. Mm, Cheers, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah, ten years. We were doing a story ten years ago, and I wanted to write a story on me and her. Mm -hmm. 
and it was, and I wanted to write it as a love story. The people didn't get it. And I'm like, look, bro, we've been together since we were 17. That don't happen in the world. Right. I fought so many cases, you know what I mean? And we've been through so much drama that to me, Winnie Mandela couldn't stay the course. She stayed the course. And I, I was that's like, right. asshole. <laughs> here, here you go. I'm commending you right here. Salute to you. <laughs> I'm telling you, because if my ever if, if a dude I'm dating go to the store too long, I'm like oh, I don't think he gonna make it. <laughs> no way! Uh, hey, hey, now you see why I got her as a co-host. <laughs> <laughs> hey, before we close out though, you I wanna I wanna I wanna kind of backtrack a little bit and talk about the work um, that you do with the kids, man. It's one thing that I saw that that really touched me that you you all did. I don't know if you guys do it like this every year, but the year when you, when, when you all have the um the uh, banquets for the kids and you put them in them tuxedos and the and little girls being their dresses and you have like celebrities come and roll out the red carpet. I love seeing because I, I coached football all through you know when I was a kid and played and all that stuff, but and. Some of my fondest memories of, of, of having some of my coaches and stuff, they were, you know, but what you guys are doing is taking it to a whole nother level. When, when, yeah. little, when I seen them little brothers in their tuxedos and stuff, and, yeah. you know. They get to keep their tuxedos. Wow. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. They just look like you can see the pride in their face and, and, and mm -hmm. you know, they was dressed up and looking good. And you guys, like, you guys showed them what excellence should be. You know, I love exactly. seeing that. I love seeing that. We told them. Let me get the glasses. Um, we did an etiquette class before the banquet so they would know how to behave, which forks and spoons to use. Yep. Um, it was three days, wasn't it? Yeah, three how to, you know, class. pull the chair out for their moms, those that, you know, uh, escorted their moms and stuff mm -hmm. like that. It was real cool. Bro, we went all out like, on that. <laughs> those are I things spent, they will remember for the rest of their life. Yeah. It was really cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I spent, I spent a lot of money on that, man, because I just wanted to I wanted to, because I understood that some of these kids may never wear a tuxedo. Some of them may never get a chance to, to actually be at a formal dance and things that I wanted to do. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, man, I had so many mothers crying and grandmas crying. It was like. They're really appreciative, you know. They overwhelmed, they overwhelmed us. Like hey, I was appreciative. I was appreciative seeing it. I, I loved it. It was it was great. It was great to see did, that, man. Did you cry, E? Did you cry? A little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I cried. <laughs> I was cutting onions. He gonna cry, cry when he know. get in the car. <laughs> You're about to get fired. <laughs> now you yeah. know I went to um I went to a when Snoop had came to Detroit with a, a Snooper Bowl. It was um during the uh the Super Bowl or whatever. I seen how. I was able to because we had we shared the same last name, so I used my driver's license and got all through the uh, <laughs> all through the same thing. So I got to meet him, and I seen how he did. Like he was, uh, yeah, gave the kids like playstations and all kind of things. I commend you guys because some of these kids don't have no fathers. Such hell, and it's it, they need that, and I really appreciate what y'all doing because. Boy, oh boy, me being a single woman, I need to sign some of the men I be dating up in y'all program. <laughs> Put them in some etiquette classes. <laughs> For real. Uh. Hey. For real. Hey, hey, I want to, again, man, I want to thank you. I know you got stuff to do and um a busy person. And again, I want to thank you for taking the time to do this show for us. I mean, a lot to me. Um, uh, and you know when you and I, I wanted to do it in person, but we were talking, and I, when I was talking to to tomorrow, he was telling me y'all coming to Atlanta the same day. I'm yeah. going to L.A., so we yep. had to do it here. But you, I know you be be out here a lot, so when you come, man, you know we have to hook up sometime, go to lunch or something. You know, that's the deal. Yeah, but again, when you coming back to Atlanta? How long are you gonna be in, out here? I'm gonna be there just from uh, Friday to to Monday. But I'm, when I come back, I gotta come back. I still be in Atlanta. I know, but I gotta come back to Augusta. I'm coming. I'm coming from Augusta because I got me working. You see, I'm in a hotel room right now. They got me working in Augusta. Okay. But when you, when how long are you gonna be in Atlanta? I think I'm gonna be there for a week. 
because I'm doing a lot of interviews. Okay. For my well, podcast. I got a podcast I'm doing called Checking In. Your own podcast? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. I'm about, cool. I'm about to follow you on there, too. So, but yeah, we'll we'll get a chance. You know, I, I, I'll stay in touch with you and stuff. Now, I don't feel like, now I think you'll remember me a little more. I feel like I have to say Earl from Atlanta with Rare Breed. <laughs> Man, I already had your phone up. What you talking about? Me and you had already talked about doing the show. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, speaking of that, do you remember me calling you last year and asking you to do the, the, the podcast? And you was like, well, I'm working on my documentary right now. This was this was the documentary, huh? This was it. Yeah. Wow. This is it. Yeah. Well, you this did it, man. brother. You did it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, hey, look, and this crazy part is like uh, when we got ready to get to the end. I'm like, man, I need my digital producer credit. It was like, there's no other way we would do it. Oh, you know what else? I before we, you know what else? I was glad to see. I was glad to see you. You incorporated Kev Mac in it too, man, because he been doing. Oh, you like I did that, huh? Yeah, he well you know too. Yeah, he been, yeah. he been putting it. Down. Anybody out there, go check out Kev Mac videos if you intrigued about learning the the LA culture, uh, gang culture, and stuff. It's really a history lesson. Uh, and really understand that our neighborhood do not start from Arlington. It goes from Western to the to the to, to the beach, right. not from Arlington. That right. was a misprint. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so I got like bragged for that. <laughs> well, again, big you man, congratulations on on, on all the success, uh, and, and, and all the future, you know, success. I look forward to the things you got coming. And um, again, thank you for taking the time to uh, to to do the podcast with me. And, and when you start yours, if any anything I can do to help, or you know, I'm out here in Atlanta. If you need me to do some interviews with you here, or whatever, just give me a call. I'm here to you know do my part. All right, appreciate and, you. Bro. And Miss Big U, you keep him in line. You keep him in line now. <laughs> I would definitely try. As <laughs> long as I don't go to the store too long. <laughs> That's right. Good thing he don't smoke cigarettes. I know that's right. Okay. All right. Thank you. You all for the rest of your day. Thanks. Thanks, Bye. All right. All right. Bye bye. It's the Dear Black Folks podcast.